Hi, I'm Lisette Jacobson, host of the Black, Brown, and Bilingue podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you all on this wonderful Saturday, or it may be well into Sunday, or, you know, well into the evening for you. It doesn't matter what type of, what time of day. I just want to say thank you so much for making us part of your day, making us part of your listening pleasure and viewing pleasure. Thank you all for all your support as well. So please make sure you continue to share our content, please, uh, you know, follow us on Spotify, follow us on Apple, follow us on all of the big uh, social media uh, platforms. And please visit our YouTube channel as well, guys, so you can go ahead and share the, these amazing interviews and these amazing conversations that we have week by week. And I am so excited this morning because I get to welcome back a friend of mine who was here on episode 71 back in 2021 and so i'm just excited that was june 5th 2021 that she was here for the first time and a lot has changed since i'm excited to hear about how she has grown so much professionally personally and of course the amazing work that she's doing now being featured speaker at a lot of events so we're definitely going to catch up but we're also going to be talking about a lot of great tech integration and tech integration ideas that Debbie has been working with as far as allowing students, emergent bilinguals, and, you know, in classrooms to have discourse, you know, using technology tools so teachers don't have to fear, uh, you know, maybe the, the language barrier and things of that sort. We'll talk a little bit about what her district may be doing as far as AI integration. And now since it's almost, it's the beginning of the year for many teachers in a lot of other states, We'll talk a little bit about what some barriers are to integrating technology and how we can overcome that. But before we get into that, I want to welcome Debbie to the show. Debbie, how are you this morning? I am great. And I'm so happy to be back. I didn't even realize it had been two years since, until we started talking about it. Wow. Over two years. Absolutely. A little over two years, Debbie, but I'm excited that you are here. I know that last time that you were here, you had your book out. We were talking about sticky notes. We we're talking about all those things and it's great, but we know how fast tech moves. And I am happy to see that, uh, you know, an educator like yourself that is out there is moving right along with it and is also helping move, you know, the ed tech space forward. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing, because I know that I see you many times. I get uh, emails for uh, events and then I see your name on there and I'm like, that is awesome. So keep up the great work. So Debbie, let's go ahead and dive in. So, you know, again, it's been a couple of years now since you've been on the show, but just for our audience members who may just be starting to get to know who you are, or maybe today they hear about you for the first time. Can you give us a little brief introduction about yourself and then your context in education? Sure. So I'm Debbie Tannenbaum, and I am on pretty much all social media at Tannenbaum Tech, and I serve on my in two, di two different roles. I'm an educational tech coach for an elementary school in Virginia, and so in that role, or what I consider my day job, 
Um, I work with teachers and students to really help them find ways to integrate technology in meaningful ways into instruction. Part of my job consists of doing coaching cycles, going working with teachers and CTs. And then another part of my job, I do some work with students. And so I'm part of the master schedule this year. I'll be working with my kindergartners who I love dearly because they are the cutest ever. And I love watching their excitement. And I'm also working with fourth graders. So it's a nice mix of student ages. And it really gives me the ability to really build capacity in the school with students as well. And then this year, an additional focus in my day job is that we're really trying to promote our school story. So we're really focusing more on how we can tell our story. We're primarily focusing on Facebook and we just have a brand new Instagram for my school. And then I'm obviously in charge of our website, but really trying to tell our school story. There's so many amazing things that go on in my school. And I say all the time that this is the only place that I would want to work and do the job I'm doing because of all the amazingness. We're just really lucky that there's shared leadership in our school. I have a new principal this year, but she, just like my previous principal, is really empowering. And so really excited about this year. And I get to do a little bit more coaching this year than last year. And then on the side, in what I consider my side hustle, I've been doing a lot of work as Tannenbaum Tech. I got the chance to go to ISTE this summer and present, which was amazing. I went to Vegas and presented at Innovative School Summit. I went to South Carolina and presented at the Upstate Technology Conference. So lots of really good things. I'm doing some virtual things in September. And then I did some in August because schools aren't just aren't doing as many things in person. But really excited about the 2023-2024 school year. I, at the beginning of 2023, became an ISTE certified educator which I will tell anyone who wants to listen is the best PD you can have. It's amazing. I also got a chance last year to become a VISTI, which is our Virginia um, affiliate. I'm a certified coach for them. So I've really done a lot of work, especially at the beginning of 2023, end of 2022, to really refine what I'm doing with, with students, with the educators that I'm working with, and really just building there. Um, I feel like when I came two years ago, I was just starting to really refine all of those ideas, even though I thought I had them all refined. And now I find that I definitely have a much more holistic picture of how I see technology integrating in the classroom. And as we talked about, there's so much change going on right now. So we really have to think about it in a different way. And that's what I'm trying to help the educators I work with navigate through, whether it's a, with, during my day job. I also have a mailing list um, in a Facebook group where I help educators. But my goal is, is that it has never been harder to be an educator. And I say that every year and it keeps getting harder. My job is to help ease that burden and help educators amplify their student learning using the tools that I share with them. I love that. Amplifying student learning. And with everything that you've done, I mean, since 2021 and everything that you've described, you know, it definitely knew that that was going to happen with just the drive that you have and the passion that you have for sharing education and the experience that you have and bringing that to the education conferences and meeting new people and connecting with new people and really making a difference and just sharing those little nuggets that they can sprinkle onto what they are already Absolutely. doing great and improving those things. So I am happy to hear about all the great updates that you that you have shared as far as your campus is concerned. I love the idea of your campus story. It really nowadays, it's you really have to sell yourself. It's that marketing component 
and sharing your story and the great things that you're doing is definitely a great way to build community and have that community that you already have around you continue to support your cause and continue to support that school. So that's wonderful. Absolutely love that. Kudos to your leadership too as well, that they continue to empower you and empower the staff as well as you continue a new school year. And also the work that you did personally with being an ISTE certified educator, be doing VISTI and visiting so many other conferences. And again, like I mentioned, sharing these nuggets. So that is wonderful. So there's definitely a lot to talk about today. And I'm really okay. excited to have you here because this coming Monday, August 21st, will be the first day of school. And I know as you know, for a lot of educators, the first day of school, you get the Sunday scaries at the beginning, um, then it's Monday. And as the year goes by, you know, you're kind of, you know, kind of treading water sometimes, you know, because there's so much that happens. But today I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do and that, and maybe some of the bits and pieces of conferences that you share where we can kind of put some educators at ease and maybe giving them some practical tips on how to integrate some technology. So I want to ask you first and foremost, through your experience since the last maybe, you know, two years that you were here in 2021, what have been some of the most common challenges that you hear educators are facing when integrating some of the tech in their classrooms? I hear a lot of challenges about time specifically. Um, teachers are very conscious of time. Um, I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but where I am, we suddenly made a huge change last year and started teaching the science of reading. And that has taken a lot of time from our teachers because it was brand new for them. A lot of our teachers hadn't done word study before and had to suddenly dig deep into a whole different way of teaching something that they had been teaching one way for their whole lives. And so a lot of times when I went to some teachers and I was like, well, let me show you how we could use this to help with this. They were like, well, I don't have time for that. Or I'm no good at technology. I know you've probably heard these as well. And so a lot of fear around using some of these tools because in their mind, they see technology in the classroom as something very different than using technology in their everyday lives. They might have an Apple Watch. They might have an iPhone. They might have any of those devices, and they use them seamlessly, and they don't even think about it anymore. But when it comes to putting computers out in front of students, there's a fear. There's a fear that I can't do it, that my students are going to do something wrong, that I'm going to get in trouble for it. And so a lot of what I've been finding is that my job is to ease that fear, to make, to take that barrier away. And that's why I've been doing so much work with coaching and co-teaching because having a second person in the room to kind of metaphorically hold your hand is a great way to break down those barriers. I've also noticed I had some teachers who were just intimidated about even starting with the students and co-teaching. And I had a, two teachers last year who came up to me so vulnerable and so beautifully and said, I can't learn with my students first. Can we meet after school so we can, I can learn with you first and then I can learn with my students a second time? And that was such a valuable lesson for me because we all learn differently. We talk about universal design for learning for our students, but sometimes we, we forget that our teachers need it as well. And so I was able to meet with those teachers every other week. And every time we met, we worked and designed something. And then I, if I either if they wanted me to, I would come in and support it. And if they didn't, they would do it. And then we would meet again to reflect on it. And so everybody needs something different. And, you know, as I've been doing more with coaching cycles, really figuring out, well, what, what is the pain point that we need to work on for you? 
And what is the best way for us to help you with that? It's not a one size fits all. And so many times you'll do a session where it's after school or in a conference and you're, and you don't try to do it that way, but you have a limited amount of time. So you do that one size fits all really tried to give my teachers exactly what I feel like they need. And that is not the same for everybody. I might have one teacher who really needs to understand how to use a tech tool to help their students with math. And I might have another teacher who's like, well, I understand math. I'm good at, I've got this, but I have no idea what to do when it comes to research. So really being targeted with that. One of the things I did last year is I went to classrooms like every other, I went to classrooms every month. This year, I'm not going to do that. This year, I'm going to make six-week cycles, and I'm going to say to my teachers, during this six-week cycle, we're going to meet, we're going to determine what our focus is, and then we're going to practice it. And when you feel like you've mastered it, if there's still time, we'll go to a second focus. But I'm not going to spend once a month with my teachers, but instead, I'm going to give them targeted support throughout the year. And so if I work with one set first grade teacher, then the next six weeks, I'm working with another first grade teacher, and everyone's benefiting. And also being in those CTs, to put those nuggets in as well, but really building, you know, that and giving our teachers customized support, I think is so important this year. Absolutely. And, you know, I love what you said, you know, oftentimes, you know, and, and again, I did a training yesterday with school nurses and they're implementing Edpuzzle. So it was great because they created their Google classrooms where they're going to go ahead and put in the school staff in there. And then they upload videos that need to be watched specifically for, uh, you know, specific groups of teachers. And, you know, like you mentioned, you can do the overview and, you know, the overarching goal. Here we are together. But I know and I let them know, I said, look, if you don't have any questions, it's OK. He said, but here's my extension and I'm Absolutely. created some additional resources for you, because oftentimes, like you mentioned, it's the time. It's uh, just the you feel intimidated because it's like, you know, you've got some people that are a little bit better with the tech than you are. And it's something that's new. So we have to take those things into consideration. And, and we know that we do that for our students. But oftentimes we oversee that, you know, and overlook that, I said, for our Absolutely. teachers. But I love the way that you are breaking this up as far as your cycles are concerned and having those goals uh, for your teachers, that is amazing. And and so tell me a little bit about that as far as, you know, the ideation behind that, because we may have uh, not only teachers that are in the classroom, but mm -hmm. we may also have tech coaches or in a similar role to you. What are some ideas for them to help them overcome some of these barriers when working with teachers? So I think a lot of it's as, just like with our students, it's all about relationships and this is my second year in this build in this building, but it's my sixth year as a tech coach in this role in this district. And so I've spent a lot, I spent a lot of time last year just building those relationships. And for some teachers who are our early adapters, they were willing to jump right in. And I was in their classrooms at the end of September. And then I had some teachers who finally let me in maybe in March. And then to on top of it, I broke my foot and I was out for a month. So I really worked hard to build those relationships. And I think that's the most important thing you can do. I know when you're in our role and people see tech, they think you do everything with technology. And th there is a certain amount of stuff that I do with technology, even if it isn't in my assigned role, because I'm building relationships. And I really worked on that last year. Really being approachable, knowing people can ask me questions and really being open to all of that. But I also feel like when you do that, and you get those early adapters, they spread the word almost better than anybody else does. Um, some of my teachers who I worked with a lot, 
you know, I would hear they would say, well, have you worked with Debbie yet? She did this in my classroom. My students, you should see what they were able to do. And that stuff spreads. Or sometimes I'll just be standing in the hall waiting for a teacher to come back from lunch. And the kids are like, whose room are you going in? And they're excited about it. And um, so really trying to build that relationship, I think, is key. And I also think that just because I think certain tools are important does not mean it's important to that teacher. Really figuring out where the teacher needs something is so important. You know, in our kindergartens last year, we had iPads for the first time. Our teachers had never used them. Well, we had to start really simple when we started showing them stuff. I had already done stuff with our kids in the master schedule. So I always had to do some of that basic stuff just to lead them into that and make sure they were comfortable. It's not an, I had, I I always have a teacher who's like, well, why don't you just do it for me? And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach you how to fish. I'm not going to touch your computer unless it's absolutely necessary. I don't touch kids' computers unless it's absolutely necessary. I'm going to make you do that perspective struggle because we have to learn what that feels like because that's what our students are going with, with. And, you know, really helping our teachers to understand our kids, our teachers a lot of times think our kids just get this. And I can't say it better than Greg Bagby does, so I'm just going to quote him. Greg Bagby says that our students might be digital natives, but they're not digital learners. We have to help them become digital learners. And so really explaining to teachers that we are providing the students skills to help them learn academically. They might have already learned in a social manner, but we have to help them make that transition over and we have to be super intentional about it. And I'm in the elementary. And so some of my kids, you know, they haven't really worked with those devices that long. And yes, every one of my kids knows how to open YouTube, even my pre-Ks. But just putting on YouTube does not mean they're learning. So it's really important that we focus on that. And I'm really intentional with the When I go into classrooms, somebody will say to me, I want to do flip. Well, why do you want to do flip? Well, because I heard it's cool. No. What is flip going to do? What are your goals of this lesson? And does flip best meet them? If flip doesn't meet those goals, then we're not doing flip. You know, and so really being that intentionality is really key and really showing my teachers. We've been doing a lot with student discourse um, this year. We're also focusing as a division on UDL. We'll look at how these tech tools can help you meet those goals and make it easier for you. Make it easier for your kids. Give your students who are still developing language ways to share their thinking in new ways. Give our kids who you know have, who might have special needs and aren't able to access the curriculum in a normal way, a different way. We're really being strategic with that. And I think that when you're strategic about that and there's intentionality, it's not just, oh, we're doing, this is another thing on my plate, but this is a way to make my plate essentially healthier. I love that. I love everything that you said there. So uh, one of the things that I want to kind of segue into that you mentioned right now towards the end is also how our students are learning. We we have emergent bilingual students that are coming in, and you know they're pretty much in every school district. You will find a group of emergent bilingual students that are coming in at different age levels. You know, I know you're working uh, currently. You said in elementary, but of course you get them at all all of those great levels. And you mentioned tools, and you mentioned you know being able to help teachers with some tools to help build discourse. And I think what happens many times, and I know we were talking about this pre-chat, and I thought this would be a great topic Mm -hmm. because uh, our math content specialist and myself, 
we oftentimes will go into classrooms and we see that it's really oftentimes just teacher-centered, teacher-led, and there isn't enough time for discourse. In other words, where students can bounce ideas off of each other and actually have that those that academic speak or academic talk. And oftentimes, you know, and like you mentioned earlier, we it was very well said when you said, yeah, just when you think that you could do like a think pair share, that's not discourse. You know, right. it's really you got to go in deeper. So my question to you is, is how are you helping your teachers that have emergent bilinguals coming into class to allow them to express themselves and to share the learning that is being had? although it may not be in the same language. Absolutely. And I'm super fortunate. Um, I work in a, a school um, that right now, 40% of our students are language minority, which means they speak another language besides English in their house. And 25% of our kids are, um, are ESOL, are identified as ELLs. And I have been really fortunate to work with our ESOL head. Um, and she and I are actually sharing a room this year. And she's built my understanding of you know, multilingual learners and how to best support our students in so many ways. I'm so grateful for her. And she, I'm sure, would say she's grateful on the reciprocal and how I helped her with technology. But we've really been focusing as a school on how, how to set this up. What are expectations for this? How does it look? We assume our students know how to respond to each other. They don't always know how to do that. We have to model those things. We have to practice those things. And in addition, a lot of times I'll talk to teachers and they'll be like, well, my kids can't speak English. How can I have them do this? Well, there's nothing that says that you can't have them speak in their native language, that there's somebody else there who can do that. I had this wonderful, um, these two wonderful students last year in fourth grade, one who didn't speak any English at that time and one who was fluent in English. And they would do their discourse through Google Translate. It was so beautiful. And one would type it in in Spanish and the other, and then it would translate to English and the other person would type it in in English and it would translate to Spanish. And it was beautiful. I mean, like I, like I was in tears watching it, but we can do things like that. Um, a lot of our tech tools have the ability to translate. We were, I mentioned Flip earlier. Well, Flip has the ability using immersive reader to translate across languages. Flip even has the ability now with the AI that's incorporated where it can design prompts and even give you some sentence prompts that you could possibly have sentence stems your students could use. Um, so really thinking about that, I mean, Pear Deck has Immersive Reader. Any of the Microsoft products have that. You know, thinking about Google tools, they can translate as well. But really being, you know, it doesn't just have to be translation. Can we use some symbols to help this be easier? Can we incorporate sentence stems? Can we and, you know, one of the things I've also been exploring, we talked about is just how to use, you know, generative AI to also provide scaffolds for our students. A lot of times I feel like we feel like everything has to come from us, but we can also curate resources from elsewhere and then tailor them to meet the best needs of our students. We've spent a lot of time this year talking about what does it mean to be a level one? What does it mean to be a level two, a level three when it comes to WIDA? And what do those things mean? I mean, a lot of our students have been born in the United States, yet they're still developing English. And so we want to make sure that we provide access points for all our kids. And if there's a tech tool that can do that, and when I hear teachers talking about time, well, maybe you have them do an asynchronous discussion and making sure they understand how to do that as well. There's so many different ways that we can do that. And for some of our students, they're not comfortable talking face-to-face. -face. Sometimes talking with a video is better or talking audios better. We have to give our students 
all of those different entry points so that they can access and share the learning. Because as you and I both know, students' academic language develops much slower than their social language. And so giving them that time to rehearse is essential before we actually have them as we're having them develop that academic language. And so we have to view the fact that many of our students speak many languages as a gift. And I feel like when I first started teaching, that's not the perception I had. And I feel bad looking back because I know there were a lot of times where I could have done things differently, but you have to, once you know better, do better. And showing my students that there are ways that they can access these that things in different ways and showing my teachers how they can set these things up is so important. Perfect. And I love that you mentioned that as far as allowing the students to use these uh, various tools. And uh, Debbie, there are countless tools that are out yeah. there at our hands, at our disposal, that just by a little bit of tweaking here, a little bit, maybe, you know, helping teachers 15, 20 minutes just to kind of get the the overall uh, workings of the apps, it can go a long way with just putting it in our students' hands and really yeah. allowing for them to grow. And you mentioned, you know, the importance of allowing them to rehearse, you know, that academic language. And I will always go back to the story in my last year in teaching fifth grade, we had a pod of fifth grade teachers. So there was two groups of fifth grade teachers. I was on one pod, the other teachers were the other. We had a set of twins and they split the twins up. I had one twin, mm -hmm. the other twin was in the other pod. And in my classroom, it was Chromebooks every day, all day, right. you know, all year. I checked them out at the beginning of the year for the whole year. And back then, we only had two Chromebook cards per campus. Mm -hmm. So wow. in using those tools, you know, uh, her name is Isabel. And she came in and she never really wanted to talk or express herself. And I don't blame her because, you know, students come in self-conscious about their pronunciation, yeah. the language. But when I put a Chromebook in front of her to create a presentation or create, you know, a screencast, she spoke wonderfully. And the depth of knowledge of the content yeah. that she had was amazing. She just didn't express it out loud because of just that fear. Absolutely. But the more that we did it, the more that she practiced, the more she rehearsed week by week. Towards the end of the year, she would raise her hand and say, I'm ready to present. Aww. And she went up and she presented and she spoke beautifully in academic language, you know, and, and no more nerves or anything. And you see that growth. So one of the things that I love about the tech tools also as well that I mentioned is the ability to have those digital artifacts that you can show oh, progress and growth from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And that is very powerful. And that's why I love that you shared that because I feel that we're missing out so much on these important conversations and also knowing that although there may be a language barrier thanks to the tech, that doesn't have to be an issue in the classroom. It may take a little bit of time to get adjusted based on the tool that you're going to be using. Yeah. But after that, I mean, the students will definitely get the hang of it. So I absolutely love that. So now I want to ask you, with your experience, I know you mentioned, you know, Flip, you mentioned Immersive Reader, Microsoft, and so on. Are You know, maybe are there any specific tools that you yourself use within your elementary or sure. does it just depend on what the setting is? And if you don't mind maybe sharing some of those tools that you do use and that you find effective. Sure. Well, my favorite tool out of all tools, and I do not work for them, though I talk about them a ton, 
is called Wixie. It's by a company called Tech for Learning. And Wixie is perhaps my favorite program to use with Littles. It has two different menus, one that's very much a pre-reader menu. Um, They call it their primary mode, and then they have a secondary mode. It's all visual. You do not need to be able to read. You don't need to be able to speak the language, read the language. Everything is visual. And I can teach my students to say, okay, this is what image looks like. And every time they see image, they know what that looks like. I actually play, um, you know, icon bingo with my with my students at the beginning of the year before they get their devices because I want them to be automatic with that. And there's like nine, you know, icons I feel like are essential. But this program has them and they actually even have them included in their library. So I don't even have to go look for them. But this program allows our students to make videos, to do audio, to draw, to use images, to do text, including speech to text and text to speech. And now it has this new thing called a walkie, uh, not a walkie, excuse me, a talkie, which is an image where they can input their voice in and it talks, it's animated. It's so cute. And I love it because it has all of those things in one thing. When I look for programs that I really recommend for my students, I talk about something I call my three C's of creation. It has to have lots of choice, building in that universal design for learning. There's not just one way to share. I love it when they're collaborative and I teach my students very intentionally how to collaborate. We have colored things where one student is red and one is blue and then they react to each other. A lot of times we view collaboration as being scary, but in kindergarten collaboration is I share my ideas with others. And then I love the fact that they have those symbols, that it's clickable. So Wixie is one of my favorites. If you're interested in learning more about that, Wixie gives me a year to give away. So send me a DM or email me. Um, so that's one of my favorites. I also really love Book Creator. Book Creator is another great one for a lot of those same reasons. Um, very visual, very easy to use, allows students to share in all of those ways. Uh, hey, Mo. Um, and then in addition, it has a lot of translation built into it as well. So you can um, take, you know, things and they can speak in their native language in Book Creator. Um, it, you know, so there's a lot of great features in there. Um, I also love Flip. Flip is definitely one of my favorites as well uh, because it allows them to do so much. Um, I think it's real. If I had to just pick my top three, those would be my top three because they allow our students to share their learning in so many ways. And I always tell teachers, pick a tool where you're going to be able to use it in many contexts in many different ways and then use the, you know, crap out of it, essentially use it for a lot of stuff. Don't worry about learning every single tool, because if you worry about that, you're going to get overwhelmed. And then when you built that tool and you really understand how to use that tool, then consider another tool. But I never have my teachers go tool hopping. I really try to make sure that we're really intentional and that tool meets the needs of their students. Oh, that is great. That is great. Big shout out. I want to give a shout out to Sophie. Uh, who's joining us here as well in the chat? Uh, thank you, Mel, for popping in also as well. I, I appreciate you. Yes, Mel, thank you so much. And Sherry Fleischer, thank you so much for joining us on LinkedIn. So she says she's going to want to learn more. So again, Sherry, you can DM her an email. I'm all yeah. In. Yes. And then that way she can share some of that Wixie magic with you all and everything. And that way you can check that out. So that would be a great, great tool. And so, yeah, definitely excited about everything that you shared and the, you know, what you're talking about integrating into the classroom. But one thing that I mentioned, or actually, sorry, that you mentioned that I wanted to bring up that I love is don't let, not letting your teachers, you know, go app hopping. 
And sometimes that can be very difficult as we know apps change from usually like from day to day or from week to week, and then they add one additional tool and so on. At least for our district, I I always try and keep it simple. And and I'm one of those that it's we standardize on at least for EdTech, you know, we've got Kami, Edpuzzle, Google Workspace, and you know, Screencast. Edpuzzle's another great one that yeah. I didn't even mention. Yeah, and Screencastify, you know, at least those are the ones that we standardize on. Now there'll be others, obviously, you know, like Flip and you know, uh book creator and things of that sort that we'll do a little bit on. But I find it that I, I'm always working with my teachers to just kind of say, hey, you know, let's let's focus on these, learn them very well, you know, understand some of the pain points and see how we can overcome those. But oftentimes it's because there is a lot of duplication within Absolutely. certain platforms. Yeah. But sometimes what I find is they're going to an outside app where what we already have has it built in. And I'll Absolutely. use Cami, I'll use Cami as an example. They've got the video built in. They've got the audio built in. They've got the notes, the annotation, um, you know, everything they're built in. But sometimes teachers will go outside and it's okay. You know, you can try that out depending on what you're trying to do. But I think that that's one of the things that teachers get so excited about is they just want to go and try the new things. Then what happens is, hey, we want to purchase this. It's like, no, I'm sorry, we, we can't. These are the ones that we have. And, you know, then it causes a little bit of like, oh, why can't we buy it and so on. But again, how let me ask you, have you ever had to deal with it? Or as far as are you part of that decision making process as far as what your building gets or do you influence those decisions? Well, I'm a part of a very large district. We have one hundred and eighty nine thousand students. And so I do get the opportunity to suggest tech tools that I think would be, you know, beneficial um, but as far as what goes on in my building, I definitely have been really strategic with my teachers on focusing on ones that I feel like are super powerful. You know, last year we did a whole set, we did a session just about how to get our students to collaborate more. And, you know, during that session, I talked about things like Wixie. I talked about Flip. I talked about Flashcard Factory, which is part of Pear Deck. And I really tried to focus on specific tools that can be super powerful. I tell my teachers that I will never give you a tool to use that has one type of use. It's going to have lots of different uses. It's going to be powerful because, you know, when we aren't, aren't allowed to use Kami in our district, it's not approved, but I want them to be high leverage tools and I want them to see the benefit in them and how it's going to help them reach their students. Um, I was at a conference and I went to a session by Susan Applin. I don't know if you know her. Yes. So she was doing a session on universal design for learning and she showed this video and it just really stuck with me. And it talks, I don't know if you've seen it, it talks about when you're bowling, you usually bowl straight down the aisle, right? Well, when you go straight down the aisle, you end up with the seven ten split. Well, whenever you try to decide that you're either going to hit your learners who are struggling or you're going to hit your learners who need enrichment, your sevens and your tens, right? But they, this video shows that if you do it on an angle and you aim for the seven, you're going to hit all of the pins down. And so I always tell my teachers, this is the new thing I've been telling my teachers, and they're probably getting tired of hearing it. But if we, instead of, when I first started teaching, we said, this is what everybody needs in the middle. And then we planned for the kids who needed support and the kids who needed enrichment. But if we plan for those kids who need that extra support, we're going to take care of everybody in the meantime. And I think that in today's day and age where we have a lot of, our students have a lot of needs and we have a lot on our plates we look at it that way and we provide our students 
with the supports that they need, and then they can do that self-differentiation. No kid is going to do a read aloud if they don't need it. You know, give them that self-differentiation. Offer them the chance, the opportunity to change what their screen looks like if they if if it's too hard to look at a black and white screen. Offer them the opportunity to have a line focus. Give them those types of support. Say to them, you don't maybe have to read something, but you have the opportunity to watch a video or listen to a podcast. When you build all those things in, you're creating a richer learning environment for all of our students. And that video has just really stuck with me. And so I always thank her for that. We need to kind of think about it in that way. And that's what I've been telling my teachers. I'm like, you need to plan for your, for your students who need you the most because the rest of you, by doing that, you're taking care of everybody. And some are like, well, they need differentiation. Well, our kids who really want that differentiation, they're going to find a way to provide that for themselves as they start to share their learning. They're going to pick things that are more difficult and things like that. And then you've made sure you have that opportunity. Um, I just think that's so vitally important for us to remember because I sometimes feel like we plan for the middle. At least that's what I did when I first started teaching. And then we're like, oh, I got to plan for those kids. And they're all our kids. We have to plan for our students as a school. And that's why we're building capacity as a school. And when I'm doing, you know, in one of the sessions I've been doing is all about use, empowering our students using student voice with UDL and tech tools. When I first started doing it, I wasn't talking about UDL. UDL was something I talked about over 20 years ago, but it's come back into my awareness through my ISTE certification. And so as it's come back into my awareness, it's become such a powerful tool for me to say to my teachers, you use this technology and look what you're providing. We just started to use a new system called Performance Matters. And I said to my teachers, it has a built-in read aloud if you want your students to have it. And they're like, oh, I don't have to record a separate audio version of my test anymore? No. And so really seeing how that technology can benefit them, make them more efficient, give them data that they can use to then plan and figure out what those next steps are. You know, those are all super important things that we need to focus on. And we need to make sure that we're not just dismissing those tools, but really seeing the power of them. I love everything that you said there because it is so important. And oftentimes, you know, I see it from year to year. We're always planning and and exactly like you said, you know, plan down the middle and then we'll kind of work our way over here and this way as we need. Yeah. And I want to bring up a couple of comments here. Sophie, who's joining us. It says yep. plan for the support and everyone benefits. Oh, I love it, that. Yes. And it says clear the snow off the ramp and everyone can enter the building. I love it. Then she adds here plan once for the most support and you catch them all. Mel also joining us here. It says differentiating is always the ongoing challenge trying to help them all. Exactly. But I, I you know, and I love a, a couple of things that you hit on is when you focus on the students that do need the, you know, the additional support everybody's going to benefit because some, even the students that may be at high level may find that either those supports, like for example, math, I'm, I'm always working with our math specialist and he's a big proponent of multi-tiered systems of support, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. always like manipulatives, manipulatives. And then teachers are like, well, th that's going to work only for this group. And he's like, oh. no, 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 this is for all our students. And yes. of course, as they all continue to grow, this is something that's going to help them. It may help them, you know, but then they'll wean themselves off of them as they won't need them as they move on from year to yeah. year. But you're providing that tool and that additional support. And he's gotten some really great results this year as far as our math scores are concerned have, you know, increased tremendously 
within the state and within our region and then even within our district as well. And because he implements a lot and he comes in with that mentality of because he goes, I was that kid in the corner that needed that additional support. So if I can teach you how to teach me, I know that you can reach out to every other student as well. So that's so important. I absolutely love that. I always think about it like I'm one of those people who watches Netflix or watches anything. I quit closed captioning on whenever I'm watching TV. And it's not that I can't hear. It's not that I can't understand what's going on with the TV. But for me, I just get more out of watching TV when closed captioning's yeah. on. And so it's that same idea. Um, you know, just because I don't necessarily need it doesn't mean it doesn't benefit me. Yes, I love that. And it kind of reminds me of a, an episode I had earlier with uh, her name is Ginger Dewey. She works for, I think it's Read Speak, and she gave she gave uh, some numbers, and she said that about 13% of undergraduates, you know, they're, of course, they're in college, they all use accessibility tools, even though they don't need them, yeah. but because it is a tool that helps enhance their learning. So yeah. there's absolutely nothing wrong to say, like, hey, just because this is an accessibility tool doesn't mean that I can use it. I benefit from it. And I'm very much like you. It's like, I'll turn on the closed captions because <laughs> I get more out of it. You know, for some reason, it's just, that's the way my brain works. Me and, me you too. know, and I did it at first by mistake. And now I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I love that. And I'm glad that you're doing, uh, advocating for this in your building and then within your district. And obviously, within all the the conferences that you're doing. But I know that we're we're already getting ready to wrap up mm-hmm. and everything. So maybe for the next five minutes or so, Debbie, I want to know about where have you been and where are you going to be and maybe any new projects that you have been uh, working on that may be released anytime soon or just letting us know where you're at in your professional, personal side of Ted and Bob Tech. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Right now, I'm actually working on my Google certification for coaching. Um, it's something I've wanted to do, and my school district is actually having a cohort, but I had started right before it. I really am digging deep into the coaching world. Um, so that's the project I'm working on. I haven't started any new writing projects. I'm actually at the end of... So next Sunday, I will be finishing my blog series for the year, which was called The ABCs of Transforming Learning. And this week and next week are Z. And so I'm trying to decide what the next project's going to be after that. I'm conflicted between wanting to do a second version of A to Z versus wanting to do something totally different. So I'm figuring that out. Um, But besides that, I'm presenting at um, NC Ties virtually this um, in September. So I'm really excited about that. It's a half day virtual conference. And then in the end of October, I'm going to be a featured speaker at TCCA in um, Texas. And I'm really excited about that. I've been wanting to go to that for a long time. I actually connected with one of the people from there at ISTE. I'm really honored to be a featured speaker there with other people like Jenna Lee and Tony Vincent and Desiree Alexander. Um, So I'm super excited about that. And then as of right now in November, at the end of November, I'm going to be doing some stuff for with VASCD, um, which is our Virginia ASCD affiliate. I'm going to be presenting for them. And then I'm going down to San Antonio to present again for Innovative School Summit at the end of November. And at the beginning of December, I'm presenting at the Learning Forward um, Conference. I'm really excited. I'm doing a two-hour session on thinking routines and how that technology can amplify them to create artifacts of learning. 
And then I'll be back at TCA. I, I went through my schedule and I'm like, I, it's almost like I live in Texas. I'm going back and forth to Texas a lot. I also have a coaching conference for Texas in October. Um, yeah, I'm going to be in Texas quite a bit. So, but I'm just loving everything I'm doing. I'm hoping um, in September, I'm also doing a panel with ASCD about the future of ed tech. Um, really digging deeper into ISTE. I'm now a community leader for them and also really getting involved in ASCD. Um, I have some things that I'm hoping will happen with them in the future, just nothing I can share publicly. That is wonderful, Debbie. I'm so excited for you. And again, you know, getting to meet you June 5th of 2021 and just to see how your work has taken off and obviously the passion that you have for education <laughs> for EdTech really shows. And I've also had the honor of being a uh, guest with you on a podcast also as well Absolutely. with Charles yeah. Williams and everything. So collaborating with you has always been a treat yeah. and obviously having you back on the show is a treat as well. And like I always tell, and I, I know I mention it here a lot, but this is truth right here. You're seeing it and you've seen it a couple of episodes that once you are a guest of my EdTech life, you always have an open invite and it's always great to catch up with amazing Absolutely. leaders and educators such as Debbie. All right. Well, Debbie, we're going to go into our last segment. But before we go into our last segment, I just want to let everybody know that our last segment here with our three questions is being sponsored by Alongside Care. So make sure you check out their website, alongside.care. And alongside.care is an ed tech platform that is device agnostic that can offer mental health support and personalized mental health support for students. And it offers that tier one support without the without overwhelming counselors or overwhelming teachers. It is a great app that the students can open up and they can go ahead and use the chat bot to type in what it is that they may be needing. And it'll offer some actionable feedback like showing videos, some breathing exercises, some journaling, and also just to get that real time, just in time support before they get to the counselor or the teacher and so on. And I think that it is a game changer, especially for many students within that community that may not have the means to, you know, help the students. This is a great alternative to yeah. help them get that tier one support and then get that help that they need. So thank you. Big shout out to Alongside Care. All right. Last three questions. Here we go, Debbie. So okay, question I'm ready. Question number one, as we know, kryptonite is what weakens Superman. So I want to ask you right now, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Time. <laughs> um, there's so many things I want to do. Um, there's so many people I want to be able to help. And, you know, time is a, you know, a finite resource. Um, I've really been trying to do a better job since I broke my foot of taking care of myself. I'm much more intentional with my exercise and my nutrition, which has served many benefits. And, you know, I've lost a bunch of weight in the last four months and I'm healthier. But, you know, this past week, 14,000 steps, 14,000 steps, 12,000 steps. There's a lot to do. And, you know, I'm one of those people who, if I could, I would probably work all the time and I really need to take set that set time and boundaries so that I can take care of myself because for a while I wasn't taking care of myself. And now that I am, I've really been prioritizing that. 
That is good. Good to hear, Debbie. And and again, we definitely, I know I want you to take care of yourself. That way I can see you at all these <laughs> conferences. And of course, I'm pretty sure soon enough, as much time as you spend here in Texas, you're probably going to have say. a house here in Texas that you can just say, hey, you know what, this weekend I'm back in Texas. You have someplace to stay. <laughs> all these conferences. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like from San Antonio, I'm four hours south of San Antonio, five hours south of Austin. And so on. So yeah, I'll be in Austin and San Antonio. I'm um, not several times. I'll be in Austin twice at least, and in San Antonio mm -hmm. once. Yeah, I know for Austin, you're doing uh, the TCA coaching. Yeah, right? yeah. In October, and then of course TC uh, TCA convention in February, yep. and so on. So yeah, definitely a lot of great stuff happening. All right, Debbie. Question number two. All right, if you could have a billboard with anything on it. What would it be and why? Don't do it alone. All right. We have to work together to make this all work. I love it. I love it. Don't do it alone. It fits perfectly. Yeah. Oftentimes it's like you, we are, we always have that fear of asking for help. Yeah. And then oftentimes we add more to our plate. Yep. But if we would have just asked for some help, then we can start subtracting things off of our plate and, again, just making it making things a little bit better. So I love that. All right. Quite, last question, Debbie, is, and I, I kind of changed this up from two years ago when you were first here. So okay. my last question for you is, is if you can turn any hobby or activity outside of work, not work-related, into a full-time profession, what would it be? Um, that's a hard one. Um, I'm going to go with one that's a little bit older that I'm hoping to get back into. For a while, I was really into doing Zumba. Um, I'm starting to get back into it. But I there was a point where I really wanted to teach kids how to do Zumba like and just do that kind of stuff with them. So that would be it. Perfect. I love that. You know, you're working on health, helping our students health also, both mental, physical. I mean, com building community. I can definitely see you doing that. That would be amazing. Well, Debbie, it has been an honor and a pleasure as always speaking with you, just, you know, filling me up with your energy with as much as you've shared. It's wonderful. It is inspiring. And I know that all our audience members will definitely benefit from all the great shares that you gave here today. These gems for sure will be picked up, taken and sprinkled onto what we are already doing great. So thank you so much, Debbie, for your time your work, and just your availability to be here. And uh, obviously, for our audience members, please don't forget, make sure that you connect with Debbie, send her a DM. If you're interested in learning more about Wixie, please contact her. That way she can kind of give you the lowdown, may get that access, and see what it might do for your students. And I'm sure that if you have some questions on that, I'm sure Debbie already has blogs on Wixie yes, that I you do. can go ahead and follow and resources. So that would be great. So make sure that you connect with her as well. And of course, all her connection information will be in the show notes also. But thank you as always from the bottom of my heart for all of your continued support. If uh, you're going to go ahead, at, excuse me, I'm sorry, I kind of lost it, lost track of my thinking okay. there. But I was going to say, please make sure that you check out this amazing episode and the other amazing episodes 
at myedtech.life. Make sure you stop by our website and you can check out this amazing episode and the other 220 amazing and wonderful episodes with amazing educators, creators, education professionals, founders, and so on. We've had it all. There's going to be something there specifically for you that you can take some of those knowledge nuggets from and add them to your practice. So again, stop by our website, please. We also ask, follow us uh, on all social medias at MyEdTechLife. Uh, also subscribe to our podcast. Please visit us on YouTube as well. Give us a thumbs up and subscribe. We're trying to get up to 1,000 subscribers. So we would definitely appreciate you stopping by, giving us a thumbs up and subscribing as well. So thank you so much, my friends. And as always, like I always say, until next time, don't forget, stay techie.